Welcome to MuggleCast episode 412. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. We are going to discuss Half-Blood Prince chapter 21 this week, and we have some feedback about last week's episode. And we're going to start with some news. So a couple of weeks ago, we told everybody about this scandalous story in J.K. Rowling's world. One of her former personal assistants had been caught using J.K. Rowling's credit card to buy stuff that she wasn't supposed to be buying. And now the case has concluded. This woman, Amanda Donaldson, has been ordered to repay nearly 19,000 pounds after fraudulently misusing the money to buy herself lavish gifts and meals. (laughs) Listen to these details. It's funny. So she spent 3,600 pounds on toiletries from Molten Brown, which I I guess is a fancy toiletry store, not here in America. 823 pounds on cakes and baked goods from two luxury cake shops. 2,100 pounds on cards and stationery from Paper Tiger. And 120 transactions at Starbucks and Costa worth 1,600 pounds. This whole story just feels so gross, though. I I feel really bad for J.K. Rowling in this case because you're learning a lot of really personal details about her through this testimony, like talking about how she would never buy perfumes from that particular store because she and her husband don't like really strong scented perfumes, and that's what they sell there. And it's like all of this palace intrigue that kind of made me uncomfortable to read yeah you know it's it's just it it kind of feels like an invasion of privacy which it is it does yep one christmas donaldson gave her employer jk rowling a liberty notebook as a present that item turned up on rowling's credit card bill (laughs) merry christmas jk rowling here's a gift that you bought yourself that yeah that you didn't know you bought you know i was reading a different article in this guardian one too but the the real uh pain out of all of this too i think is there's still some very collectible harry potter merchandise that has gone missing and the judge ruled that there was not enough evidence to prove just to prove that this woman had removed them so yeah even even though she's being made to repay uh the money that they could prove she took she actually bought a lot of foreign currency as well with jk rowling's money that that ended up not going to jk rowling but even though she has to pay it back with interest uh there's also some priceless artifacts that are just gone so yeah are you saying though that this woman was also responsible for stealing those items or is that not proven at this point it's not proven and that but so the case resolved and that is just like they're gone now They're, they're just gone um so you know jk rowling i'm sure vetted you know this woman very carefully over the years and as a personal assistant to have somebody that close to you that was dishonest and you know right but and stealing in 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 more than one way um is 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 a huge blow not to mention i think i mentioned this last time we were talking about this woman presumably if you are working for jk rowling you're making a good salary so why right. do you need to go and use her credit card? Don't take it for granted. Mm. And now she was caught and she has to pay this money back. Or if you're struggling a little bit, I'm sure J.K. Rowling would be more than willing to uh, help you out. Yeah, if you're honest. Yeah, give you a raise after a few years. Yeah, you've been a great employee. I'll give you a raise. 
we're releasing these new illustrated edition books. I've got some extra cash. <laughs> Here you go. Yeah, that's, but clearly, that's a hard I, clearly, this wasn't a case of this person struggling based on what she was being paid because she was just using J.K. Rowling's money to buy herself really lavish things. It's not like she was using it to go buy groceries. Like, I'm sure if J.K. Rowling had seen like, oh, that's that's weird. My credit card statement shows like 100 pounds spent at the grocery store. I didn't go there and then put the pieces together and realize that for whatever reason, her assistant was suffering financially. That would have been a completely different conversation. Mm -hmm. But this woman was using it to buy herself like perfume and Starbucks. Yeah, that's like. The definition of privilege. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. $25,000 worth of that stuff. Exactly. Yeah. That's like five cups of coffee <laughs> from Starbucks. One other news item to discuss this week. Bloomsbury has announced that Quidditch Through the Ages is also getting an illustrated edition. So this means that the Hogwarts library box set will now be completely illustrated because Beetle the Bard, that's already been illustrated. Fantastic Beasts already has an illustrated edition, so Quidditch will be the third and final one. Won't be out for a while, though. October 2020. I guess that makes sense because this fall, Goblet of Fire is coming out. Jim K is going to need another two years to do Order of the Phoenix, so they're hiring another person to fill that gap year, and that person's name is Emily Gravitz. She has not illustrated one of these books previously, so something to look forward to. Where, Andrew, on earth did you find this old image of Dan Radcliffe picking up his Quidditch Through the Ages back in 2001? Isn't it great? It's so cute. <laughs> Little Dan, yeah, helping promote the release of Fantastic Beasts and Quidditch Through the Ages. Where did I find it? I can't remember, but you'll see, I think it was on Google Images somewhere. I just happened to come across it when I was searching for one of these books one day. But um, if you see in the background, you can see, I believe that's Goblet of Fire on the store shelf behind the woman. Oh, yeah. And Dan Radcliffe's handing over the money and smiling into the camera <laughs> while paying for it. I'm rich now because I'm Harry Potter. <laughs> I can buy these, no problem. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, it's a great pick. Yeah. One other thing just wanted to mention quickly, Team Star Kid, a lot of you know them from a very Potter musical. They have announced their 10th, they're, they're hosting a 10th anniversary event in Los Angeles. They started raising money for it. Everybody will be there, it seems like, including Darren Chris. It's going to be a big event. So um, if you're into Team Star Kid, you might want to take a peek at that because they're hosting an event in L.A. this fall. And congrats to Team Star Kid. Can't believe it's been 10 years already. <laughs> Finally, a little news item about us. Don't forget to follow MuggleCast on Instagram, instagram.com slash MuggleCastPod. And you can follow Eric on Twitter if you want all of our story posts. <laughs> <laughs> and miss them because <laughs> he's been ripping them i just rip them i don't i don't like that the stories disappear forever so i'm immortalizing them by sharing them on my own social i think we're gonna save them within our own story archive yeah feature as well okay. there is that ability so yeah no we'll do i'm that. new to this whole day of we're recording thing i used to get snaps from micah of course he worked in social media so i'm i'm, I'm learning fast that it's something that is really like engaging for people to post like, I'm in the middle of doing this. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. We have hired Jewel. Her name is. She's a longtime listener of the show, and she's going to be managing our social media. She is an expert at, at it. She does it for her day job. 
she's a fan of the show and what we do and she's also handling social media for another podcast laura and i do millennial um so yeah our social media presence will actually be heating up this week so now is the time to follow and thank you to everybody who has follow followed us we have a good 1200 followers on instagram i think that's a pretty good start yeah for sure it's more than i have not as many followers as i personally have yeah, yet yeah i was just saying that <laughs> oh not to brag andrew we can't all be you okay maybe one day the show will be bigger than me i don't think so though i'm a pretty big deal with my 3000 followers or however many i have on there i don't keep track yeah if you're i will say if you're listening to us podcasts right now and you happen to have an instagram account even when you don't log into that often you know open it up and search up mugglecast pod and please just click follow yeah we'd really be delighted the goal is how's this for a starting goal beat my follower account i think we can do that yeah i think we can also want to let everybody know that we are beginning the process of signing our 2019 album art laura you received them this past week right i did yeah i came home from work and there was a huge box and then a a second smaller box on my doorstep and they're just packed full of this album art and it is beautiful guys they came out so nice and i'm actually going to start signing those today after we wrap recording so uh, my plan is to sign them uh for myself in ravenclaw blue i don't know what y'all's plans are i haven't decided what color i'm going to use yet but it's always fun mixing it up and drawing little extra things on the cards and whatnot exactly micah Micah loves doing that um oh i remember (laughs) with the millennial (laughs) album art he did that oh man (laughs) And the MuggleCast one, too, the, our last round. I was going to say, did Dobby show up on the Millennial album art as well? <laughs> no, but Micah, so. I remember, tried to, like, turn Millennial into, like, an anagram for something about himself. <laughs> Micah is longing. I don't know. Huh. I love that. Learning more this about This was Micah when I was today. in California, yeah. right, Andrew? Maybe. Yeah, I mean, I don't ever remember signing album art outside, because I was only on Millennial for probably what five episodes or so and uh i think i was out in la for something and met up with andrew and and matt for lunch and you guys may have been signing album art you're like why don't you just sign a couple of these yeah oh that's right yep no so what happened was then y'all mailed it to me and elisa who was another host on millennial at the time and we started going through this album art we're signing it at a bar and she's like, what the hell? Why did Micah sign these? And we just kept like finding sporadic pieces of album art that Micah had signed and drawn on. It was funny. Yeah, yeah. So please pledge as soon as possible if you want to receive one of these new ones, patreon.com slash mugglecast. And if you remain a patron for uh, three months at the $5 level or higher, you will receive one. You will also receive our 2019 gift. So please pledge as soon as possible, and we will announce the 2019 gift once we get all the details sorted out. We're still working through that. But we think it's a practical item that will be useful in your everyday life. Mm -hmm. And uh, update your address on Patreon now if you haven't done that already. Instructions are available on our Patreon couple pieces of feedback regarding last week's episode on the Defense Against the Dark Arts Curse. Volby's Moldy Nosy wrote, maybe the real reason Dumbledore never lifts the DADA curse is because he and the staff takes bets each year on how the new professor will be forced to leave 
and he's got a good winning streak going. He's like, I think this one's going to be forced out because he'll be discriminated against for being a werewolf. What do you think? Easy guess. Low hanging fruit. <laughs> so Dumbledore's playing roulette with his teachers. I don't I don't think that's a very good idea, but also not the worst theory. That's interesting, though. I mean, do you think he picked people who he realized wouldn't last for longer than a year in the job? When you look at Lockhart and you think, yeah, probably. <laughs> um, you're saying he picked people he wouldn't want to last longer than a year? You can't, you can't pick anybody you're really, really that attached to. Although when you get to Remus Lupin, you're like, oh, that's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. I think that Dumbledore was looking more short term need to fill the gap, you know, kind of like, especially by the time we get to years three and four. And then year five takes care of itself. Like Mad-Eye Moody never wanted the job. He was a retired Auror. And Dumbledore was just like, well, you know, can you help me out this year and not have to worry about it a year later? You know, so I think that he just was looking at short-term appointments. But if you realize, it's probably been about the 19th or 20th time he's done that come the Harry Potter books. So it is pretty, like, weird. That would be an interesting question for J.K. Rowling if she could actually map out who were the Defense Against the Dark Arts teachers from the time that Voldemort cursed the position all the way through. Obviously, we know the ones in Harry's year, but... Yeah. uh, Yeah. And Hillary said, great episode. Do you think Voldemort's DADA curse was how Albus Dumbledore knew for sure that Voldemort hadn't died the night he murdered the Potters? 12 months later, their DADA teacher left slash died slash vanished. Albus Dumbledore could could assume Voldemort was out there somewhere still as his curse continued. Amazing. I love that. Um, yeah. You're taking the least significant detail of all the Harry Potter books and going, this is the most important detail in all the Harry Potter books. <laughs> I love it. The role is still screwed. He must be out there somewhere. It makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did nobody notice, though, that this position was had a very high turnover rate? I think... I'm sure they uh, did. I don't think they have Glassdoor in the wizarding world, Micah. <laughs> and there's so many problems at Hogwarts. It's just another one on the list. It doesn't stand out because there's too much going on there that's problematic. Yeah, I'm trying to think how many of them could just uh, play it off. Like Gilderoy Lockhart. I mean, people would clearly know. It probably would have been big news that he lost his mind and was in St. Mungo's. But I was going to say... Oh, he's just so famous and popular, he moved on to other things. But that's not true at all, actually. Hmm. Yeah. Got an email here. Laura, could you read it? Sure. Uh, This is from Christine. Christine says, I just started listening to your podcast, and it's great hearing others geek out on Harry Potter. I've been a Harry Potter fan for years and finally decided to give you guys a listen. Sorry it took so long. That's okay, Christine. On last week's episode, you discussed how the defense against the dark arts position was cursed. I'm wondering if that's why Dumbledore didn't want Snape to have the job. He wanted to protect him from the curse, even though he did let him have it eventually, but maybe because he had no choice, just a thought. I think that's a great point. Yeah, I think it is. Does that check out? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it works out really well because Dumbledore makes that point to Snape Um, that I think we see in book seven through his memories in the Pensieve, where Dumbledore says he doesn't want to put all his eggs in a basket that so frequently dangles on Lord Voldemort's arm. 
And so I think it, it serves a dual purpose, right? Like he doesn't necessarily want to give Snape tons of exposure to students through Defense Against the Dark Arts as a subject, but also he needs Snape and he doesn't need Snape being driven insane or killed or whatever might happen to him over the course of being in this position. And obviously being in the position kind of does end in him, him being killed. Yeah. So, yeah. He waited until it was the right time, the right moment. As always. J.R. Billington says, Hi, MuggleCast with Chapter by Chapter. I believe that Dumbledore is disappointed with Harry because he needs to be sure that after he dies, that Harry will put every effort into the plan and not be distracted or find excuses why he can't do it. So responding to our question about why is Dumbledore so harsh on young Harry? I don't know if I totally agree with that. I, I think it's more so what happens to Dumbledore at the end of this book. That's the ultimate driver for Harry to focus on the Horcruxes and defeat Voldemort. Ultimate, sure, but this is some preparation. Yeah. Harry, take this seriously. If it weren't for the level of manipulation going on and the the copious detail that Dumbledore, like critical detail, that Dumbledore is intentionally leaving out, then I would say this theory has merit. But because Dumbledore is holding so much back still from Harry, I don't know that this is a test of Harry's reliability. Like, if he would come clean with Harry, Harry would have a chance to prove that he cares about the information. Mm -hmm. I don't know. And finally, this is from Kayla. On a recent episode, you mentioned when the untested powers of the Hufflepuff Cup could be. What the untested powers could be. I'd like to think that it makes the drinker a particularly good finder or gives them one of the other Hufflepuff qualities. The Gryffindor sword is obtained through an act of courage, so linking the cup to a puff trait would make sense to me. So it's like uh, Felix Felicis. Instead of getting lucky, you... That'd be cool. you, you get lucky at finding things, I guess. So what you're saying is Harry should have put the Felix Felicis in the Hufflepuff cup and then drank it and then gone to Slughorn. He would have been covered well not while the cup was a horcrux i'm sure it would have killed him um that's true <laughs> but uh, i will I, I will say that uh it's important to point out what uh is canon and what is fanon the very potter musical de- uh, established the whole hufflepuffs are good finders um sort of thing so that is very much a star kid thing congratulations to 10 years <laughs> to, to star <laughs> kid 10 years of confusing harry potter fans although it's basically been teased by Jake or like acknowledged by her. It's it's seeped so much into the consciousness of Harry Potter fandom that even J.K. Rowling said something about finding. But it it came from a Harry Potter musical originally. Important to point that out. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm looking. So I think it's gotten so out of control, Eric, that the Harry Potter lexicon wrote an article on it oh. and is saying what you said here that yeah. The finders thing is just from Team Star Kid. <laughs> but it's brilliant. That's interesting. It's it's brilliant. Yeah. And as a Hufflepuff, as a Pottermore Hufflepuff, I gotta say it's important like the more traits we can pick up and have people generally know that are great and that we are great for, we'll take it. Are you a good finder? Not particularly. I lose shit all the time. I'm fairly disorganized, <laughs> a little lazy, you know. I, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> You're a good editor. Are oh. Hufflepuffs good editors? Is that a trait? Maybe. I th- we're, we're patient enough to handle the 
you know, patient and competent. I, I think that is uh, two two skills that an editor should have. Thank you. Yeah, there you go. All right, before we get to chapter by chapter, it's time to hear a word from one of our sponsors, Robinhood. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos, all commission-free. While other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees, so you can trade stocks and keep all your profits. Plus, there is no account minimum deposit needed to get started, so you can start investing at any level. The simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike. View easy-to-understand charts and market data and place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. You can also view stock collections, such as the 100 most popular. With Robinhood, you can learn how to invest in the market as you build your portfolio, discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, and get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving listeners of MuggleCast a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. Sign up at MuggleCast.Robinhood.com. Again, MuggleCast.Robinhood.com. This is a great one because it's a great time to invest. All right, time for chapter by chapter. We're discussing Half-Blood Prince chapter 21, The Unknowable Room. Time for the seven-word summary, which just scares me these days. <laughs> it's very intimidating. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, this is... Uh, I'm finally starting one, but it uh, is not one I would love to start. Let's <laughs> go. Uh, Harry. Searches. Four. Draco unsuccessfully oh god <laughs> but <laughs> uh, <laughs> how do i end that i don't know diligently you're a wordsmith you can figure it out uh harry searches for draco unsuccessfully but um <laughs> damn it guys you had one job <laughs> one job um just say tonks but <laughs> tonks is that uh, your final answer no say diligently right like he's trying real hard but yeah it's a... i'll say determinedly mm. determinedly there you go got it i was thinking but wins like don't even explain it just say <laughs> but wins that's why seven word summary is cool it it, it forces us to come up with words like determinedly <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I was sitting here for a moment and I was like, that is a word, right? I'm not making that up. And then I Googled it really quick just to make sure. (laughs) (laughs) So this is a chapter in which we finally learn where Draco has been going and how he's keeping it all secret. We get a couple of aha moments from Harry. And it starts off with um, Dobby and Creature. But actually, before we even get to that, there's one of those great foreshadowing lines that you just miss on your first read but then once you revisit this you're like oh maybe this was a little clue um the trios or harry and hermione are talking about saving ron and harry says don't worry hermione if it hadn't been for the prince ron wouldn't be sitting here now and then hermione replies he would have if you just listened to Snape in our first year. <laughs> I feel like that's a subtle res- reference, yeah. right? And what I love sure. about this is later in the chapter when they're in class with Snape, he talks about Inferi, hmm. which are coming later in the book. And Ron actually makes the great point 
when Snape starts berating Harry for describing the difference between inferior and ghosts as being that ghosts are transparent and inferior solid. And Ron shouts back at Snape, well, if we actually encountered these out in the real world, that would really be the only thing that mattered. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it's true. Yeah. So the chapter begins when Dobby and Creature, they offer a report on Draco. And I think as a reader, we were all really excited to hear what they had discovered. Dobby still got this impulse to jump into the fire after talking ill of Draco. And he also hasn't been sleeping. But as Hermione, Hermione is, is like, Harry, did you tell him to work on this around the clock? And Harry's like, no. And I guess the presumption is that Dobby is just trying to do his absolute best. And finally, he has like an exciting task to do. So he's just working on it around the clock. It's just I, I love these two. It's a great comedic moment in the scene. Like, you know, Harry, Ron and Hermione are in the common room. It's late at night. They're the only ones left. People are like really working late burning the midnight oil to deal with Snape's stupid Dementor essay. And all of a sudden, crack. The mood changes. Creature comes in. Dobby follows. Dobby's like, Creature should have told Dobby he was going to come and report so that they could do their reports together. I love the idea that both Creature and Dobby were assigned to the same task, but even Creature's like, I'm not going to deal with Dobby right now. (laughs) Like, Yeah. You know, tried to get the slip on him. So to Creature's credit, he does decide to report to Harry what he has discovered. But it seems like Dobby does all the work in this scene. Like, I don't think we can give Creature really any credit. <laughs> well, Creature right? just... Well, Creature is still just so in love with Purebloods and the bad guys that when he talks about where Draco has been... He, he begins the whole recap with Master Malfoy moves with a nobility that be- befits his pure blood. His features recall the fine bones of my mistress. And it's just like, creature, shut up, you know? And it's just, you can't get anywhere yeah. with, with that. Who has the patience? Well, this is all just evidence of the fact that Harry's learning he has to be really explicit when he's giving orders to Dobby and Creature. Like, the fact that Harry didn't think ahead of time to tell Dobby... Don't work on this around the clock. Please be sure to sleep is what Mm -hmm. allowed Dobby to work on it around the clock. And the fact that he didn't think ahead of time to tell Creature, I don't want your reports to be filled with your love for the Malfoy family is what allowed Creature to do that. And that was when Harry had to step in and say, "Okay, we don't want to hear about how much you love Malfoy. Just tell me the facts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's even more important given what Creature has already proven himself capable of in the last book that Harry be as explicit as possible. I mean, we could give him a little bit of a buy given the fact that he was coming off uh, a concussion uh, when he first (laughs) gave the orders to Dobby and Creature, but I think it is, to your point, Laura, really important that he be as explicit as he possibly can because, especially with Creature, it's kind of the, you know, two sides of a coin, right? Creature will try and take advantage of the situation where Dobby will just do everything in his power to make sure that he gets what it is that Harry is looking for. So be explicit. That's the, that's the moral of the uh, story. And again, Mm -hmm. fun as a reader, because you're sitting here making sure yourself that Harry has laid out all the correct guidelines. You want him to be successful. So it's very fun to see 
Harry work this out and make sure he does it right. You know what's interesting is, so they discover that Draco has been going to a room on the seventh floor, and immediately Harry, I think it even says like he wants to hit his head. Of course, he says, it's the room of requirement. And so even though the trio has been outside the room of requirement uh, multiple times this year so far, and they've even found sentries standing outside of it, the the connection comes, you know, late. But it's part of J.K.R. writing why it's so brilliant that, like, we've been going there the whole year, you know, already. And, and Harry and Hermione and Ron, especially, too, having used the room so extensively last year, should be more familiar with that corridor in general. Um, you know, it's got that famous statue of the hunchback or something across the way. Like, it, it's it's a recognizable... It would be my second bedroom, honestly, the room of requirement. If that were a thing that my school offered and you just walk by it, like, you know, it's just slipped their mind. Yeah. Um, But... The interesting thing that Dobby reports is that it's impenetrable to Dobby and to Creature. And and if a house elf can't get in there, you know that it's that it's like really secure, right? Um, mm-hmm. Because house elves can even apparate and disapparate in Hogwarts, and that's not supposed to be doable. So, you know, even if if even house elves who are ordered to find somebody can't get into the room, Harry should really not feel bad the fact that he tries so unsuccessfully this chapter to get into the room. Um, because if Dobby mm-hmm. can't do it, nobody can. Yeah. So I have, I have a question. I wanted to get y'all's opinion on this. What do we think of the fact that Draco chose the room of requirement for this task? He already knows that Harry, Ron and Hermione know it exists. So, was this just Dra- Draco taking advantage of something like knowledge that he was given by the quote unquote enemy? Or is this another representation of his half-hearted attempts to complete this mission? I wonder if he just felt like there was no better option than the room of requirement. I mean, isn't there though? Like he, who says that he necessarily has to do this at Hogwarts? Mm-hmm. Well, specifically, it's the the vanishing cabinet that he's been trying to mend all year, right? So yeah, he kind of would have come into it just by happenstance in searching for where that cabinet is. Um, really? Yeah, so, I guess isn't... It, I guess I just wonder, like, can the cabinet be moved? Like, could he have theoretically moved it to a location, not necessarily like far away from Hogwarts, but maybe somewhere? where it would be less likely to be discovered by other people who knew about the room. But that's, I think we can best answer this question using the the future to inform it. Like it turns out it was a brilliant plan because even though the trio knew about this room, they spent seven or eight months not realizing that, that it was being used the way that it was. And another couple of months, I think, you know, still not being able to get in, like for all of the variations that Harry attempts, to get in later in the chapter and he's unsuccessful. And I think that that actually means it was a brilliant choice for Draco. Yeah, it was, it was so, so, so good. And even Hermione says when Dobby and creature are here reporting, she says, you can make the room unplottable if you ask it to be. Mm-hmm. And I think that that really is the, the, the kicker is that mm-hmm. Draco had the foresight to build in whatever, whatever um, request he did while spinning three times around on the seventh floor 
he made it so that Harry, for the life of him, cannot get in, and therefore it it was a smart choice. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think that does also speak to the fact that Draco is a pretty smart character. I don't think that in the books, or especially the movies, um, where he's sort of like kind of the comic relief bad guy for the most part, yeah. um, I, I don't think that we really get to see this side of Draco. So it's really nice to see him in the light of being able to outsmart Harry. And I think to the point of whether or not the attempts were half-hearted, I think the the plan itself isn't necessarily half-hearted, but how much work he may have actually been doing throughout the course of the school year inside the room of requirement, which we may never know. I know we're given a bit more of a glimpse uh, during the films into him trying to mend it, but you know, if his heart was truly in it, if it really took however many months it did for him to do that is probably up for discussion. I, I think we know deep down that his heart really wasn't in it. Uh, but I also found it a bit comical that he is using the very thing that I believe it's Mr. Weasley talks about uh, as as really a, a means to escape from Death Eaters, to escape from Voldemort. And the Vanishing Cabinet actually ends up being the way that the Death Eaters enter Hogwarts. So, right. you know, in the past it's been used for what we would consider the, the good side to escape, but now it's being used for for evil purposes. So, um, yeah, well, doesn't, am I making this up? Doesn't Harry hide in the sister cabinet in book two? He does. Yeah. 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 But the door is left open a little crack, a little mm-hmm. teeny tiny crack. Cause he wants to spy on Draco and Lucius connecting the threads. So beautiful. God, she's, this is the kind of stuff I want to see in fantastic beasts. <laughs> well, you got to wait for it to play <laughs> out and we probably will see it. You know, the Vanishing Cabinet, by the way, also in the Wizarding World theme park in Orlando in Borgen and Burks. I don't know if you all ever noticed that. It's kind of dark in there, so it's hard to tell. <laughs> but speaking of forward thinking, Micah, you have this point about Dobby and Creature. Yeah, so they're kind of a dynamic duo that, that come together in, in this book, but it's not the first time, or I shouldn't say, it's it's not the only time that they'll end up working together. They are uh, tasked with tracking down Mundungus in Deathly Hallows. And uh, the movies made it seem like that was the first time that they were coming together. But in fact, uh, it's in Half-Blood Prince to to track down Draco. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Another thing that I wanted to bring up here, because we've had this kind of common theme over the last few episodes of talking about the treatment of magical creatures in the wizarding world. And what I love about the way that J.K. Rowling narrates the story is that she's really good at interpreting the story from Harry's point of view, even when she's sort of doing like the third person omniscient narration. Um, So when Dobby and Creature pop up, uh, it says he had not told Hermione about setting Creature and Dobby to tail Malfoy. House elves were always such a touchy subject with her. So this just goes to show that Ron's not the only one who has some development to do when it comes to the rights and autonomy of creatures that he perceives to be like beneath him. I don't think Harry's quite as bad as Ron, but this definitely does show that he doesn't have the same level of regard 
for their sort of personhood as Hermione does. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of that, if, Micah, I think you wanted to bring this up. If we had our choice, who would we have used to track Draco? I feel like the house elves are the best choice because as we see with Dobby, he is dedicated to the role. And unlike a lot of wizards and witches, he would be able to move about relatively undetected. Yeah. I mean, you you can read along with this and go, I mean, in that previous chapter when Harry thinks of Dobby or thinks of Creature and calls him like, I remember like clapping. Like I thought it was the most brilliant <laughs> idea ever. Yeah. But there is definitely a sub, a, something going on here. Laura's right. Where Harry doesn't want to deal with Hermione's like natural pushback to that. Harry's sort of decided on his own that this is the best course of action and taken it. And he's not getting along with her about the half-blood prince still yet either. So this whole chapter, they're arguing about how much he's relying on you know, these little teeny tiny comments in the margins of these books. We know how that's going to turn out once he finally uses that spell, quote, for enemies. But he's just ignoring Hermione's, like, the things that Hermione would 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 give and bring to the friendship and to his sort of decision-making process. He's shutting her out. How about you, Micah? Who would you use? Hagrid. <laughs> <laughs> that would go well. Yeah. He would see him coming a mile away. <laughs> So Harry does start making these attempts at breaking into the room of requirement. And it was interesting. We were just talking about how you have to pick your words really carefully. Harry's trying to do that here with the room of requirement like he was in assigning Dobby and Creature their mission. Um, It was fun, again, as a reader to see the words he was choosing. And you, as a reader, are hoping that he is going to unlock it in these multiple attempts that he's making. But it doesn't go well. And to our point earlier, um, it ends up working well for Draco for now. Yeah, he's using phrases like, I need you to become the place you become for Draco Malfoy. And I need to see what Draco Malfoy is doing inside you. And they're all Draco focused, whereas I think like how he eventually gets in is, uh, you know, become the room where all things are stored or whatever. So he's just not being very true to how the room works, I think. Like he's so hyper focused on Draco that he's kind of saying the things that will evoke the protections versus thinking more broadly about what Draco kind of needs the room for and going from that angle. So I think there probably were ways to get in, but when you specifically name drop somebody who's previously said, don't let anybody else in this room for me, it's not going to work. Yeah. I was wondering, given the chapter title, if what Draco had asked for was an unknowable room. Hmm. Hmm. Because I remember like after reading the chapter, I was like, well, it's the room of requirement. Why Why is this chapter called The Unknowable Room? And then I'm wondering, like, if this is something outside of the purview of what we see as readers, if that is what Draco asked for. That's a good question. Let's call up Joe. Yeah, I love that. What other phrases would we use to get into the room? Hmm. I'm thinking, bring me the blonde. <laughs> or, Give me the blonde. Give me the room where the blonde is. And then it just shows Luna Lovegood. She just pops up. <laughs> Damn it. Not you, Luna. The other one. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what I'd I don't know what I guess to get in here. I don't think you can. 
I think Hermione already pointed this out earlier in the chapter that you can make the room unplottable if you want to. And once that's done, I don't think Harry can access, at, at the very least, he can't access exactly what Draco accessed, mm-hmm. at least not in this moment. That said, I did want to talk about, I felt like this was like some really brilliant foreshadowing. Um, so we all remember that in the King's Cross chapter in book seven, Dumbledore was talking to Harry about like why he had sort of set things up the way he did. And they got on the topic of why he gave Hermione the tales of Beetle the Bard, why he left that to her in his well. And he said, I'm afraid I counted on Miss Granger to slow you up. Hmm. And that was all in the service of making Harry learn about uh, the Deathly Hallows so that we could sort of see that contrast to Horcruxes. And ultimately, Harry has to choose to defeat Horcruxes in order to defeat Voldemort. And I think this is some brilliant foreshadowing of that because Hermione is so focused on the Slughorn situation that she's really trying to slow Harry up on stalking Draco because really Harry's focus shouldn't be on Draco or at least Dumbledore doesn't want it to be because Dumbledore's already got that part covered. Yeah. Right. He wants Harry to lay off of that. And I think Dumbledore probably knows that Hermione's going to slow Harry up on this as well. And so this is another reason why he's like, Harry, you need to prioritize Slughorn over everything. I don't care about these other problems that you're having. Mm-hmm. Mm. Basically, Harry Potter would be dead if it weren't for Hermione Granger. The only reason he makes it to the end of the series is because of her. Yep. Why isn't it called Hermione Granger and all these titles? <laughs> I know, right? Hermione Granger and that time I saved this dumbass again. <laughs> <laughs> I know we touched on it before about the, uh, you know, it was kind of a slap upside the head with the room of requirement and kind of going off what you just said, Laura, I find it hard to believe that the thought would have never crossed Hermione's mind that Draco could be going into the room of requirement. and That's why he wasn't showing up on the map. Yeah. Yeah, it is bizarre. And I mean, the polyjuice situation, too. It's like kind of surprised you haven't thought about that sooner either, but... Yeah, especially the rumor requirement. I think she has. There's there's actually a, a part in the chapter where Harry, um, it, it, you know, we're sort of seeing this narration of his thoughts and he's frustrated that she won't participate in the discussions about Draco and the room of requirement because he thinks that she could actually be really helpful if she would. And I think it's intentional. I think it's intentional because she has her eyes on the prize about getting the information Dumbledore has asked for from Slughorn. Hmm. Because she knows that Harry can't access the room of requirement for the purpose that Draco has. So she doesn't see the point in wasting efforts trying to do so. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Why doesn't he try and utilize either Crab or Goyle to his advantage? Like how? Well, they don't know, right? That's true. They don't know what he's up to in the room of requirement. So we get a Snape class in this chapter, and he is as brutal as ever. We wanted to discuss why he's so mean, but I was reading it again this morning, and I'm like, maybe he's just having a bad day. Um, But the subject, one of the subject matters, uh, because Seamus asks how you differentiate a ghost from an inferi, and Snape... Snape 
uh, gets these inadequate answers from Harry, and he is just brutal towards him. After after already de- deducting points for him being late, which is this week's mm-hmm. Quizzage question. But yeah, the, the Snape is definitely having a bad day. He's got to be because he's just sour to everybody. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, he's having a bad day. He's on this year-long mission that he knows is going to culminate in him killing his boss. And <laughs> somebody from the order, was it was just reported that he was arrested in the Daily Prophet. So, like, yeah, he's he's kind of having a bad day. He's He's not having a good time of it. And I think we also have to address that Snape's kind of an ass. And just because... Yeah, just because he's on the right side of an unjust war doesn't automatically make him a 100% good person. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of what I love about what J.K. Rowling is trying to do in Fantastic Beasts, which is take a more nuanced approach to characters. Um, She even said so herself in the DVD extras that in war, it doesn't just break down to like goodies and baddies. Everybody Mm -hmm. has shades of gray in their personality. So you look at people like Snape and even Mundungus Fletcher, who are on the right side of the war, but they're not like great people. Yeah. And that's how it is in the world. Yeah. What do you guys get out of this whole scene? I know you touched on it earlier, Laura, too, but like Ron calling out Snape and like you were saying, like I... I don't love this scene. I think it has its merits, but it's kind of like the children versus the teacher, and it feels a couple of years beneath where it's at as far as, like, character-wise. You know, there's an argument to be made about practicality. When you're in the situation, sure, it matters if you're facing off against something transparent. It's how you're going to distinguish. What is Snape's point, really, about you know, Snape wants them to take sort of the more high level approach to discussing uh, ghosts and where they come from versus inferi, but it's just nobody's having it. You know, I don't, I don't know what people get out of this scene. That's not me. Really. Well, I think the main point of it was to place some emphasis on the inferi so that later on when we encounter them, we have some context for what they are. Or at least some recent context. I don't remember if they had been brought up before this point. Barely. Yeah. Um, and I think also it's pretty well established. And we learn this towards the end of book seven, which is that Snape has no love for Harry. <laughs> yeah. But he's protecting him out of obligation because he loved his mother. So he's doing all of this for Lily, not for Harry. And it's kind of one of those, it's kind of like a Dursley-esque situation where he's sort of doing the bare minimum to sort of meet his obligation. And in order to live up to the promise of protecting Harry, that doesn't require him to be nice to Harry. Right. He just has to make sure he doesn't die until (laughs) the right moment, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Part of me, though, wonders the effectiveness of Snape as a professor i think that clearly there are moments and it's proven in this chapter even with the bazaar but his behavior towards harry is not one of a teacher and we've talked a lot about this i think in previous episodes if you look around at the other professors that harry has yeah at times they may be tough on him 
but the behavior that Snape elicits towards maybe not just Harry, but Gryffindors in general or anybody who's not in Slytherin House is not really reflective of somebody who should be in that type of a position. Yeah. You know, he should be a bit more mature. I think he's very immature at times and he has this arrogance about him and it just completely overtakes his his effectiveness as a teacher. I mean, yeah. he's supposed to be educating these kids, not treating them like crap. And and he's probably what? 20 years older than them? Probably even more. He should know better. Yeah. And and he doesn't. What's the one thing we always used to hear in our own classrooms? No question is too stupid, right? They encouraged you to ask questions and oh, yeah. and not to shy away from that. And here's Snape shaming people for asking questions and giving inadequate answers. Like, that is completely the opposite of what you're supposed to do as a teacher. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I have an academic background, <laughs> and I, like, I, I remember. So the biggest disappointment of my graduate school experience was working with people who were, like, preeminent names in my field. Like the reason I chose my program was because I had read numerous studies that were written by professors that were in that program. They're brilliant. And then I got into the classroom and some of these people were horrible teachers. Mm. And it just goes to show that just because you're a brilliant scholar does not make you a brilliant teacher. And this is a problem, a very common problem in the academic world. So I don't think this is too terribly out of place. I also think that Snape being there isn't just a function of him being brilliant at potions. I think it's also as a result of Dumbledore needing to keep him close. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. I, I just think that, you know, you have teachers or professors throughout your academic career that you know are necessarily tough on you but they are tough on you because they see something in you that they hope will mature and grow i don't think that's what's happening here with snape he doesn't necessarily see anything in harry other than his mother's eyes and he just treats him like absolute garbage throughout the course of the series and i think that maybe in this case he's having a bad day but I think anything that is is not the norm for Snape, uh, he still treats Harry like crap. So I, I don't know. And Snape is definitely a teacher who is of the opinion that there are stupid questions <laughs> and stupid people asking stupid right. questions. Even I think yeah. it's ch chapter one of or chapter eight or nine of book one where he's like, as long as you aren't the a batch of dunderheads like I usually have to teach. Like Snape has a very high uh, low opinion of of questions being yeah. asked by students so one of the final elements of the chapter is tonks by the way we don't have it in the doc but we also do encounter moaning myrtle who is uh foreshadowing what we learn about draco spending time and with moaning myrtle which is very yeah. weird to me he also spends time crying in the bathroom i that's just so surprising to me but i guess it just well, is there to exhibit the troubles that draco was experiencing yeah and it goes to Laura's point, though, of of Draco's attempt being half-hearted. If he's if he's crying in the bathroom to moaning Myrtle, then there's a good chance that his heart is really not into what it is that he's being 
task to do. Oh, I, and, get, I get the opposite question because I, I feel like he's so passionate. He wants it to work and it's just not working for him. And that's why he cries. That's what I thought. It also is reminiscent of Chamber of Secrets with Tom Riddle and his ability to develop a relationship, shall we yep. say, with Moaning Myrtle. Exactly. And she even bemoans the fact that Draco hasn't been back to visit her. I miss that blonde boy. <laughs> so, like I said, Tonks, uh, we run into her. Harry runs into this her was weird. at Hogwarts. Yeah, I didn't like it either. It kind of just bummed me out. She seems to be worried. Harry doesn't totally understand what's up with her, but it's clear that something is. And we we learn later that it's she's torn up about Lupin because he's not sure if he wants to get into a relationship. Uh, she might be worried about the attacks. Harry thinks that she's upset over the loss of Sirius. Why do you think this is weird, Micah? It, uh, it just doesn't fit. It, there's something about it that just seems off. You know, why is she there to visit Dumbledore in the first place, which she, she tells Harry about? Or maybe that's just a cover. Uh, maybe that's not the reason why she's really there. And as is mentioned, she, this is the second time in this book that she's found Harry kind of on the floor uh, in a precarious situation. And I don't know, it's just, it, just odd. It mm-hmm. may, Maybe others feel differently but is it is it odd to you and maybe this is why i don't really like this either it's because we don't really get like a payoff yeah for this exactly for these scenes yeah. just he's trying to get into the room and all of a sudden tonks kind of surprises him and they have a conversation but there's there's no real payoff to that conversation yeah i'm with you on that i also think it's weird that harry goes to this place where he thinks that it's because Tonks was in love with Sirius. Um, mm-hmm. Aren't or weren't they cousins? Yeah. Or yes. Distantly related. <laughs> sure, you get that a lot with purebloods. Yeah. You know, Hermione. I don't know if she's considering this in this scene, but she's like, "That's a thought." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, purebloods do like intermingle mm. in their genetics, but like Game of Thrones. Yeah, but I always thought that that was like the more antiquated purebloods who are trying to like remain pure, but I don't get that impression of Tonks and Sirius. Yeah. They're yeah. more progressive, so I wouldn't I don't know. It was it was just weird to me that Harry went there. <laughs> yeah. Well, he he goes there but he's allowed by J.K. Rowling to stay there in, in that headspace basically the whole year. And these interactions don't change any of that. You know, it's kind of it's all very daytime soapy, the way Tonks has been reduced to from from this badass aura. Remember, she was like the youngest aura in the advanced guard in the last book. And like now she's just a complete wreck who can't even finish sentences. And right. it's I think it's a disservice to her character that whatever subplots there may have been, I'm guessing there was just more originally. And that's why things, you know, these series are so meticulously planned for there not to be a payoff to why she was trying to visit Dumbledore, you know, what can Dumbledore do about Remus not loving her? Uh, you know, all that kind of stuff that feels weird may indicate that it was cut. And, you know, whatever subplots used to be in here, I would have liked to have read. Unless really what we're supposed to take away from 
the conversation is that Dumbledore is traveling again. Yeah, which that's that's yeah what you take away from it. It's an important factor, but I think another element to this is just the trouble that werewolves have. Um, that's one factor in why Lupin doesn't want to get with Tonks, and that tears Tonks up. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I I think that uh, this. These scenes have a bunch of different points, but not like one really strong point. Yeah, but she abandoned her post too. And I guess that's the most significant aspect of her being there is that she has a thing to be guarding somewhere around the grounds. Like Hogwarts is less safe because she's here. So mm-hmm. you almost want that to, there to be a good reason for it. Um, yeah. Specifically. So that is chapter 21 of Half-Blood Prince. Next week, pretty big chapter after the burial where uh, Harry will finally get what he is looking for. Let's rename this chapter. I'm calling it Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince chapter 21. Duh! Part 1. Referring to the Polyjuice Potion and the Room of Requirement. I went with Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince chapter 21, losing focus. I went with a what I intended to be a Hamilton reference, the Skylar oh my God. sisters. I, I was just wondering if that's what you did. I love it. Yeah. So you know how there's Angelica and Eliza, and they're like, you know, the Skylar sisters, and then there's Peggy. Um, the way that Dobby showed up when Creature appeared to Harry to give his report is like, and Dobby's here too, Harry Potter. Um, so I went with Hepler Prince Chapter Twenty One. Dobby is Peggy. Oh my god, I love it. I can imagine him popping in and being like, and Dobby. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the, the syllables work out. Yeah, yeah it's perfect. Um, I went with Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, chapter 21. Hermione's almost always right. <laughs> and MVP of the week, Eric, who's yours? Draco. I'm going to give mine to Draco Malfoy. Wow. I know we talk about him being careless, and his previous attempts that were unsuccessful were very, very, very careless. But he seems to have really mastered how the room of requirement works. And Harry, you know, who spent a year in there last year, can't figure out how to get in. So definitely mm-hmm. huge props to Draco for seemingly understanding more about the room than anyone else at Hogwarts. Yeah. Um, I said Dumbledore. He's not even in the chapter. And yet he's still so present because he's like the puppet master of everything he's already set all of the pieces into motion yeah damn him i know damn it dumbledore i decided to go with ron for no other reason than the fact that he was able to successfully apparate yeah (laughs) he did something good finally before harry officially did and i feel very proud of ron in this chapter oh and uh also because i I really didn't understand the point of the chapter outside of our discussion. So I uh, figured uh, why not just go with a random person like Ron. And, you know, I think it's reflective of the fact that different people have different learning styles and learning how to operate into a hula hoop is not real world practical application. Ron just needed to get out in the real world and try it. And look, it worked mostly. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he he only ended up in the wrong where did he end up somewhere in Scriven Shafts as opposed yeah. to the uh was he supposed to end up in the three broomsticks? I don't remember. I don't remember either. And also for the fact that he got called out by Hermione at the end of the chapter uh for his uh, uh ongoing 
uh, quote unquote relationship with Madame Rosmerta. <laughs> yeah. And finally, my MVP of the week is Dobby, just for pulling through his demons and getting the job done. Oh. Good work, Dobby. Slash Peggy. <laughs> if you have any thoughts on this week's discussion, write in mugglecast at gmail.com or tweet us. Your username is just mugglecast or hit us slide into our DMs, as the kids say, on Instagram. Our username there, again, is mugglecastpod. Uh, don't contact us on Facebook. I don't like their messaging system, and we don't like Facebook in general. <laughs> but really, follow us on Facebook. Yeah, the world is just trying to get away from Facebook. Yeah. It's not making yeah. life great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they leak our passwords. They don't take care of them and other yeah. privacy issues. It's time now for Quizage. Yes, and we did get a submission from Arlie, who wrote in last week. Oh, oh good. Called it. Yes, and Ar- Arlie said the answer to this week's Quizage uh, well, uh, I'll read the question. So the question was, how many points does Harry lose for being late to Defense Against the Dark Arts? Arlie and others got the right question. Arlie's response was, the answer is Harry lost 10 points. And she said, like you said, I'm still getting used to Twitter. So I hope I did this right. And yes, I know what a hashtag is. Okay. Ooh. <laughs> Told you. Burn. Duh. I mean, I mean, it was a, she did like the smiley crying face. So I'm sure it was fine. Um, but yes, Harry loses 10 points, and the correct answers were submitted by Dumby the Bumblebee, Jennifer, Young Susie Blood, Fluffy McNutters, Karen Frode, Count Ravioli, who we hadn't heard from in a while. Miss Justice. Uh, yeah. Somebody uh, named Justice for Hokey. <laughs> Man, poor in, Hokey. Oh, poor Hokey. Amy Hill, Haley White. Sarah Davis, Erica, and Stacy. Uh, and then Stacy added this whole uh, gif of gif of Dumbledore, Michael Gammon shaking his head, going back and forth saying, girl. And I don't know if that's relevant to the answer, but that was funny. Wow. So, <laughs> yeah, anyway, uh, next week's question, of course, will be based on the chapter that Andrew previewed a little bit after the burial. And it's a very specific question again to see how many people we can get. Slughorn uh, takes some leaves from Professor Sprout. Which group of students are they for? Which group of students does he say they are for? A very specific reference found in the next chapter. And submit your answers to us on Twitter, hashtag Quizich, and at Reply MuggleCast when you do. Really funny chapter, too. I already read it for MuggleCast. Yeah, Yeah, you were saying. Yeah, I'm looking forward to discussing it. Yeah. So uh, thanks to everybody for listening to today's episode of MuggleCast. If you have any more feedback, call us, 1-920-3-MUGGLE. That's 1-920-368-4453. Just keep your voicemail around a minute and make sure you are in a quiet place. We listen to all the voicemails, and we appreciate everybody's feedback. Uh, We can't air them all. And sometimes we can't air them because the quality is just really bad. It's hard to understand what you're saying. So, uh, what, Andrew? Uh, you didn't hear me? So, so make sure you're in a quiet place. That Don't use a Bluetooth headset. Don't, don't call in via your car. Sometimes people do that. And it, it just doesn't sound good. And we try to have the best audio quality possible here on the show. You can also just write into us the old-fashioned way, mugglecast at gmail.com, or use the contact us form on our website, Thanks again to this week's sponsor, Robinhood. You can get a free stock 
like Apple, Ford, or Sprint by going to mugglecast.robinhood.com. If you visit our advertisers, you will also be supporting us. So we would really appreciate that. Or support us at patreon.com slash mugglecast. You'll get instant access to tons of content, including bonus MuggleCast installments, the live streams, the signed album art, the physical item, in addition to the signed album art that you'll be receiving later this year, and also the chance to co-host MuggleCast. I know we're due to have another patron on, so we'll do that uh, in the next couple of weeks. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.